like to start the message by reading scripture. I'm going to be in Isaiah 46. I want to read verses 3 and 4. That's Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are borne by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age I am he, and even to hoar hairs, that means gray hair, will I carry you, I have made, I will bear, even I will carry, and I will deliver you. This is a promise of God to the child of God, saying that um, he is your Lord from conception to old age, and from the very beginning where he made you and he bore you, he will carry you and deliver you. I've got a second passage I would like to read. This can be found in Psalm 106, and I'd like to read 37 through 40, 37 through 39. Okay, 37 through 39. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works and went a-whoring after their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance and he gave them into the hand of the heathen and they that hated them ruled over them. Kind of heavy language, but we are working our way in through our we believes. And we are on the number nine out of ten. The last one, or the ninth one, ninth one is talking about the sanctity of life. And that life is God's and it's precious. We've got to remember that these bodies are not ours. We are simply stewards over them. They are God's. And if Christ purchased them, they're Christ's also. And we are to care for them. We are to protect for them. We are to um, defend them from conception all the way till natural death. Uh, that's a little bit different than our current culture looks at things right now, but uh, that's what I want to do is I want to look at a little bit of science, but I also want to look at what Scripture has to say about that. Okay? So I want you to notice it's from the, the womb to old age, and there's some folks that are not looking at life in the same way. Okay? So with that, uh, um, I want to give you something from our ninth statement of what we believe. God values all human life from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death. True religion protects the helpless. It does not harvest body parts uh, from one life to advance the life of another. Excuse the spelling there. Okay. So with that being done, I want to look at a couple de definitions of life. The first, I've got three definitions from three different dictionaries. The first one is the 1828 dictionary, Webster's Dictionary. Notice this definition here. What is life? The state of an organized being in which its natural functions and motions are performed. And it gives an explanation. A tree is not destitute of life in the winter when the functions of its organs are suspended. It is not strictly dead till the functions and its organs are incapable of being renewed. That's an 1828 definition of life. Let's go to the Oxford English Dictionary, which is about 1600. 
The condition, quality, or fact of a person or animal as opposed to an inanimate object. The assemblage of functional activities which differentiate properties and their living organic material from dead, non-living matter. And the last one is a random house. It's an old one I have around my house. I kind of like this one pretty good too. Uh, The random house defines it as the condition that distinguishes plants and animals from inorganic objects and dead organisms. It's manifested through metabolism, through growth, reproduction, or adaptation to environment through internal changes. So when I look at that definition right there, I notice about the functions and motions and, and, and those things being performed and something living has, has growth, it metabolizes, it can reproduce, and it can adapt itself. And I think when we look at uh, um, some living organisms, we understand that that makes the difference between that and a pencil or that and a, um, uh, an automobile. Uh, it moves, but it has uh, it doesn't reproduce itself. It doesn't have natural functions that way. So with that being said, we're going to go through some scripture and we'll see what God says about life and how we ought to view it. The one thing that I've got to share with you is I, I, I can't find anything in scripture that upsets God more than the taking of innocent life. That is his wrath. That is, he calls it blood on a nation. He, he's, he's just intolerant of it. And I think we've got to get the seriousness and the soberness of that in terms of God. Okay? So with that being said, let's, let's do this. When does a clump of cells become a life? I'm going to do a little science lesson here. I did some time, you know, I think I spent... I think I know that Deborah and I took off and we spent a little bit of time up in uh, Kentucky and we went to the, uh, uh, the the Creation Museum and also the Ark Encounter and we got I got a lot of information there. But there was something that was really interesting to me. I found out that they actually took a movie and you can look this up on the internet or if you go to the Ark Encounter, you can look at this. But when the seed from the male actually enters and breaks through and goes to the egg. At that moment of conception, there's like a flash of light. It's like a fireworks. And what it really is, it's a release of zinc. And when that, it, 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 it really, it's, like, it's really like a firework. And they've got it on, on a camera. And it's amazing. That's life. And what that zinc does, it hardens the shell of the egg so nothing else can get inside it, and that is a life. I found it's just amazing. It's like a firework, okay? So I ask you, from a scientific standpoint, when does a clump of cells become life? Is that it when the firework happens? Well, let's leave it off. Or does it happen at 12 weeks? No, at 12 weeks, something pretty remarkable happens. I don't know if that's usually at the time where a woman goes from the first trimester to the second trimester. And any of you women that have had children or any of you husbands that have been around your wives as they had, you'll find that something miraculous happens from week 12 to week 13. And that's what happens is the baby hearts kicks in and all of a sudden there's a burst of energy. You would think that someone gets more and more and more and more tired, but from that first trimester to the second trimester, there's a boost of energy because the baby's heart kicked in, and all of a sudden it's helping the body produce, and mom's not doing everything. Okay, 
So at that point in time, the, the, the fetus is about two and a half inches long. Two and a half inches. That's probably about the length of your thumb right there, two and a half inches. Okay? Or does, is that a clump of cells or is that a life? As you can tell, it's got eyes and ears and a nose and feet and toes and fingers. Clump of cells or life? You know, it's, it's amazing now. We've got ultrasound now and we can see. So it's dark and secret before we can see. Or is it what our law says at 24 weeks? Now, at 24 weeks, some babies are absolutely viable outside the womb, and they said, that's life. I don't know. If I go one week earlier, do I say that's a clump of cells, and now that's not a clump of cells, and that's a life? And I'm not going to go into all the science on there, but now that life is now eight and a quarter inches long, so you think about a ruler, and you're going about two-thirds the size of the ruler. That's a pretty big size baby. And then you go to 36 weeks. Now the baby's 18 and a half inches. That's a ruler and a half. Yes, foot and a half. And it's there and it has hair and it has eyes and it, it has emotions and we, we can see those things and we can watch it. I will, I debated whether to show the pictures or not, but I'm not going to do that. There's too many people of two different ages. But recently what happened was is there's a... Um, um, abortion clinic in Washington, D.C., and someone got hold of the medical waste after five, and the name of this thing is called Justice for the Five, and they found five fetuses that were aborted late term. And they went, and they've got pictures and documents of those babies and what was done to them and what was done to end the life, and it just tears your heart out. And to say that's a clump of cells, to look at those babies. I mean, you, there's, there's no one with a straight face could ever look at you and with an honest conscience look at it and say that's not a life. So I'll leave it to you in terms of that. But the question is, is when does a clump of cells become a life? But I also want to go on the other end of the spectrum. And when does a life become a clump of cells? Because I also want to talk about euthanasia, mercy killing. And because that's just important. So when we talk about this subject about life, I want to know what God says about life. So I've done an introduction. I've done the definitions. I've done a little bit of science for you. But really, we're here. We're a Bible-believing church. And what thus saith the word is what really drives us. So I've laid some foundation for you. You know what we're working with. But, but ultimately, this is where we're at. Okay? So the first thing I have is I want you to consider... Two in utero records, one of Jesus and one of John the Baptist. And notice how these two babies are being referred. Matter of fact, this is one thing I want you to notice in Scripture. The Bible never uses the word pregnant. You know what the Bible uses? With child. What does that mean? It means it's a child. Do you know the Chinese... When a baby is born, they say the baby's one years old. So when we have it and we have a birthday party and we have a one-year-old birthday party, the Chinese say they're two years old. Isn't that something? Because they count the first nine months as the first year and the second year is year two and we say that's year one. Isn't that amazing? 
Okay, but notice what the Bible describes Jesus and John the Baptist. This is Jesus. I'm in Matthew 1, 20 and 21. <coughs> this is God speaking to Joseph. But while he thought on these things, this is Joseph, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, this is Joseph, in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now I'm going to ask you the question, when did the word become flesh? Did it become flesh at conception? Did it become flesh at 12 weeks, at 24 weeks, at 36 weeks, or when it was born? And I think as soon as the Holy Spirit, that's Jesus, that's the Son of God, that's our Savior, that's who we're waiting on. Luke 1.15, this is speaking of, of John the Baptist. For she was great, I'm sorry, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and it shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. So what's happening is, even while in the womb, there was some dietary laws that were for the Nazarites back in the Old Testament. Remember Samson? They said, how should I raise this child? They said, this child shall have no fruit of the vine or any strong drink. And by the way, while you're pregnant, you're not supposed to have any of that either. Why? Because it's alive. It's a person. And if mom gets it, he's going to get it. Well, it's the same thing with John the Baptist. Even from his mother's womb, no fruit of the vine, going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. This is also John. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation, the babe leaped in her womb. I didn't say the clump of cells leaped in her womb. It says the baby, the babe. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So God's working and borning again this child before it's physically born. And then finally, Luke 2, 5, this is back to Jesus. I just want to emphasize this. To be taxed, this is Joseph had to go back to his homeland, and it says his espoused wife being great with child. Notice it doesn't say his pregnant wife, his expectant wife. It says the woman... That's great with child. That in the womb is called a child. Okay, so there's some pretty clear language, what God thinks of the matter. When does life begin? Let's look at God again. This is an Old Testament law. This is in Exodus 21. Let me read 22 and 23. <clears throat> now let me paraphrase it, and then I'll read the law and see what happens. Let's suppose there was a, a, a pregnant woman standing right there, and James and I get into a fist fight. And as we're, I take him and I throw him and he takes me and he throws her, uh, throws me and I, I, I go into the pregnant woman and there's an injury. Okay? This is what God says about that scenario. If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that the fruit of her depart from her and yet no mischief follow, he shall be severely punished according to the hu woman's husband. Okay, let me get this. So let's suppose James and I get in this fight and we hurt her and she has a premature delivery. Okay? So the baby's born and the baby's okay. Guess what? We're still going to get punished. And it all rests on the husband. Whatever he wants to do to us, that's what's done to us. But what happens if the baby dies? Let's read the rest of this passage. And he shall pay his judges, as the judges determine, 
And if any mischief follow, thou shalt give life for life. So in this fight, we injure the woman so bad that the baby dies. Guess what? It's the death penalty for us. What does God think about life in the womb? Looks like a pretty serious charge, doesn't it? Okay. Let's go to Psalm 139. I want to read 13 through 16. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that the soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, ye being un, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance was fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. In other words, God knew me as soon as I was conceived, and even when I was developed me, he knew me, and my name was in his book. And that's from very early on. So, when does life begin? According to this, it's not at birth. I don't even think, I've got to push it back further than 24 weeks. I've got to push it back further than 12 weeks. It's at conception. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctify thee and ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. There's mom going around and she's with child. And in there is Jeremiah. And you know that baby inside there? That's my prophet. I sanctify, I'm setting him apart. How can you set someone apart when they're still in the womb? Well, God did it. And he ordained them a prophet. That's my prophet right there. No pressure, right, on the prophet. Okay. And then Matthew twenty four nineteen. This is talking about Rome coming back and overrunning Jerusalem. And woe unto them that are with trial, child, and to them that give suck in those days. Once again, we see God calling a spectacle woman a woman with child. And it doesn't matter if it's a couple weeks or a couple months or almost full term. That is a child. God makes it clear that's a person. Okay, so when does life have integrity? When it breathes on its own? When it provides for itself? Or when it decides? Life always has integrity. Okay. All right. When is taking a life sin and when is taking a life not sin? That, I, I always get into this, okay? Number one, taking a life in self-defense is not sin. God does not like the taking of innocent life. If someone is coming after my family, I will use every means of force to protect them. Period. I hope it doesn't result in death, but if it does, then that's what it's going to take. Them or me, or them or my family, it's going to be them. And God doesn't have a problem with that. Okay? And I've got the note, the, the reference there is Exodus 22.2. You can look that on up later. Number two, God does not call it a sin by taking life during war. There are times where nations will go against nations, and you'll have to protect your home. It's kind of like a self-defense in a way. Taking life during war is not sin. Numbers 31.7. 
Now, there's some acts during war that are sin, but this, you know what I'm talking about here, I believe. Okay? And then number three, taking a life while carrying out capital punishment is not sin. Now you think, oh, okay. And I, I've, I've shared this with you before. I've been driving down the road, and I saw the bumper sticker. Why do you take life for someone that took life to show that taking life is wrong? I remember seeing it. I was driving down the road, and I saw it. And I thought, wait, wait. Something's bad wrong with that thing. And then I thought, well, let me put some other offenses in there. Okay? And you know what I thought of? Kidnapping. Why do you incarcerate someone that incarcerates someone to show that incarcerating is wrong? I thought of price gouging. Why do you charge someone a lot of money who charge someone a lot of money to show that charging a lot of money is wrong? No one would argue those. So the penalty here is the difference between murder and taking of a life in capital. It's the innocent person. That's what God does. And the reference there is Genesis 9, 6. Okay? Let's go to a couple more here. These may surprise you. What if I take a life accidentally? Okay, and in this particular case, it's recorded in Deuteronomy 9 and 5. Let's suppose I'm out in the woods and I'm chopping a tree down. And as I'm swinging the axe, the axe head flies off. It hits my neighbor, hits him in the head, and he dies. There was no motive in there, but there was still a life taken. Is that a sin? Well, it's not a sin, but God charges restitution. Somehow I've got to try to make that family whole, that, that widow woman, the father, whatever it is. I've got to try to step up and do that. So it's not a sin, but there's still responsibility on mine. That was an innocent life. Okay? Here's another example. What if I did something out of ne- ne- neglect? This is recorded in Exodus 21:29. I like this case. This is pretty funny. It's funny to me because I'm not a farmer. But let's suppose <coughs> I have an ox and he's wild. Okay, and, and this is all recorded in the passage. And that ox goes out and kills someone. Well, that's an accident. But what happens if that same ox, which is wild, and I know he's wild, and I didn't take measures to subdue him, and he goes out and he kills another again? Guess what? I'm guilty of death. Because that wasn't an accident. That was a negligence. And God requires negligence to be, to be done that. Okay? All right. Let's go to another one. Boy, this is so hard, isn't it? I'm just trying to show you what God thinks about taking of a life. In 2 Samuel 1, 4 through 6, how about mercy killing? Did you know God had one of those in the Bible too? And this is recorded there, and I'll, 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 I'll share that event. This was, I don't know if you remember, but at the end of Saul's life, King Saul, he was a, he was a rascal at the end of his life. And uh, he got to a point where he was in a battle, and in this battle, all his sons were killed, and, and, and the enemy was charging on him, and he says, well, I, I just I can't, I can't do this. I can't let the enemy get a hold of me. So he took his spear, and he put the butt end into the ground, he put the point in his belly, and he fell on his spear. Okay? That's a suicide. And he's laying there, but you know what? It didn't work. So he's laying there, and he's dying. And he goes to his armor bearer. He says, armor bearer, finish me off. He says, I'm laying here. I'm dying. Please finish me off. 
And you know what the armor bearer did? He did. He finished him up. He finished him up. And then he took off and he ran. And he goes and he takes off and he runs and he finds King David. And he said, David, I got bad news for you. Saul and all you, Jonathan, your best friend, Jonathan, everybody's dead. And, and, and David says, how do you know he's dead? He says, because I saw him get killed. And how do you know King Saul's dead? He said, well, he fell on a spear. And when he fell on a spear, he fell down and he was mortally dying, but he didn't die. He begged me, please take me out. And I did. Guess what David did? He executed him. He executed. How can you kill a live person? But it was a mercy killing. It was done in compassion. You took the God's anointed's life and he killed him. Capital punishment. And that's recorded there. So there is a mercy killing in there. There is sanctity in life, even in a painful life. It's still in God's time. Now, again, I've been there, and you're going to say, what about this? What about that? We can talk about all those whatabouts. I've been in plenty of situations where I've been in a room where people had to decide to turn off machines. Okay? And that's, that's the whole thing. Okay? So let's go there. Um, I want to go back to Exodus 21 and verse 12. What the key is, taking an innocent life is always sin. Period. That's it. And those first three accounts, those weren't innocent lives. The last three accounts, they were innocent lives and there was some restitution or penalty to be paid. That's God's word on the matter. Okay? So let's keep on going. Okay, given all that, what does God expect from us? Got it? What does God really expect? Number, there's, he expects three things. Okay? Number one, he expects us always to speak for the weak, to defend the weak, to protect the weak. That's something he expects from us all the time. Let me give you the scripture. Number one, Psalm 82, 3 and 4. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. The Lord is always expecting us to stand up for those who can't stand for themselves. The definition of pure religion is to visit the widows and the fatherless, the ones that cannot help themselves. That's the definition of true religion, pure religion. Okay, That's what he expects us to do. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, open thy mouth for the dumb. Those are people that can't speak. In the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction, open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. God would expect us to speak for the innocent. Jeremiah 22, 3, thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong, do no violence to strangers, the fatherless and the widows, neither shed innocent blood in this place. God is against shedding innocent blood. Zechariah 7, 10 and 11. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. But they refused to hearken and pulled away their shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. They, I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't care about that life. I care about me. 
Okay. Who speaks for the weak? The Democrats, the Republicans, the woke, the media, churches? No, you. It's your responsibility. You need to be speaking for the weak. Okay? What does God expect from believers in the midst of an evil society? Number two is do not comply. Got it? You're going to be like those Egyptian midwives. Remember they had a, Pharaoh made a decree, infant side? Yes? Do you remember that? And what does scripture say back in Exodus? He made it all clear, kill all the Hebrew boys. And what did the Hebrew midwives do? They didn't kill them. They said they're more lively than the Egyptian women. They got spunk to them. They didn't do it. Okay? We do not comply. Now, you know me, we comply with taxes. Even with taxes we don't agree with. But I still pay them. And I comply with speed limit laws, right? But if I'm told to go execute this person, I'm not going to do it. Got it? Okay. Jeremiah 2, 34 and 35. These are several passages from Jeremiah. Also in thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor and innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but upon all these. Yet thou sayest, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou sayest I have not sinned. I can ask the question, who's guilty? Is it the doctor? Is it the nurses? Is it the owners of the clinic? Is it mom? Is it dad? Who's, who's guilty? Is it the politicians? Is it the legislatures? Is it you that voted for them that put them in there? Who's guilty? Jeremiah 7.31 And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. This is so beyond anything I ever thought about. This is God talking. Offering your children and throwing them into fire as a sacrifice is just so far from my heart. Well, you see the next verse. Jeremiah thirty-two thirty-five, And they built high places of Baal, which are in the valley of Hinnon, to cause their sons and daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. God says, I never even thought of that. Now, how does an omnipresent God, omniscient God, say he never thought of that? That, that wickedness is just so far removed of taking a baby. And then finally, Numbers 35, 33. So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed. Several years ago, I was driving down the road, and I was listening to talk radio. And there was a conservative radio. This, is, this was really early on when conservative radio was just getting started. And you probably heard of this guy, Rush Limbaugh. 
And he was getting real aggravated at Christians. And the reason why he was getting aggravated at Christians is he was getting after, and I was the one included. He says, you are a one-event person. He says, you've got a candidate, and he may agree with you economically. He may agree with you uh, in foreign policy. He may give you a domestic policy. He may agree with you everything down the line. The only thing he doesn't agree with you is abortion, and you're not going to vote for him. He says, you're just a one-event people. And I go, yep, that sounds about right. That's me. I'm guilty of what he said. Because you know what? As, as I'm looking at myself, and there's a candidate that's going to maybe take care of me better with my health insurance, or there's another candidate that's going to take care of me better with my retirement, my Social Security. There's another one that's going to take care of maybe domestic or the energy policy. To me, I lump all those together, and, you know, I got this one over here. I got babies being killed. The blood on the... There's no contest. Yes, I'm a one event kind of person. I have to be because of God's word. To do anything more is serving myself. I've got to protect the innocent. I've got to speak for the innocent. That's me, okay? So who's responsible? Doctors, nurses, clinic owners, mothers, fathers, legislators, or the voters? And I say, yes. We all are. As a nation, we're guilty. And I didn't look it up. I know the number's huge. It's in the millions. It's in, I don't know, 70, 80, I don't know, since the first Roe versus Wade, how many babies have been killed? That's a lot of blood on our nation. That's a lot of blood. And I just amazed that God is long-suffering and we're still in as good a shape as we are. Because he got after Judah for doing a lot less. Just amazing. Okay, so number one, what do we do? First, we speak for those who can't speak. Number two was we resist what we can resist. And then number three, we submit to God. Okay? <clears throat> Deuteronomy 32, 39. You know, next time we come together, I'm going to talk about Jesus saving us. <laughs> this is not fun. Okay? <laughs> I talked about his work on the cross and how it washed away our sins. I'm required to preach the whole counsel of God, and this is part of it, and this is the day we live in, and I want you to be informed. You can disagree with me, but the Lord won't go shame on you, Brother Dolph, for not preaching it. Let's thus say it the word of God. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal, neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. God is saying, he says, I'm the boss. Okay, I'm the boss. When it comes to people and children and your children, I'm the boss. And I determine when they're born, I determine when they're made, I determine when they die, and for you to short circuit and use something up, he says, you're overstepping your reach. God says, I'm the boss. Okay? Two, Job 1 and verse 21. And said, Naked came I out of my father's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's talking about physical, but he also gives life, and he takes life. I will share this one time with you. <coughs> there was a, you know, there's a, there's a couple times in my life where I've prayed, and God has answered in a really short time, I mean, just seconds, 
And when he's and it's been so unbelievably profound that my knees shake. And this is one of those times. There was a, a case, it was down in Athens where I used to live before here. And there was this man and he was really sick and he was in a he was in a coma. And uh, they did all the things and the tests, and they determined that he was brain dead and he was on all the machines. And uh, in the family, they had, oh, it was, it was kind of a, a split family. There was a, a mother and a father, and they had been divorced and remarried, and then there was children, and there was a wife involved of this 40-something-year-old man. And there was all these families members, and they were all on different pages about whether to turn off the machines or not. And it was... I hope you don't understand, you understand the way, but it was in that hospital, it was a living, hellish situation. There's people all over the places, and doctors were frazzled, the nurses were frazzled, people were all on different pages, and finally this poor guy was on the machines for well over a month, I think somewhere between one and two months, and finally, finally, the last family member got to the point, and they said, okay, okay, you can turn off the machine. So they got all the family around the bed, and here's this man that hasn't breathed on his own or, or done anything for, for a real long time. Those are hard decisions. I understand it. And I understand it takes different people, different time frames. That's the one advice I always give families. So see, so they were all around the bed, and the nurse came in, and, and, and they asked me to come too. And, and I'll tell you what, the only reason I, was, I wasn't really close with the family but what happened was this particular man had two boys, and the boys' ages, if I remember, were about three and five. And the reason why they got me involved is because they introduced me to the wife that was making this decision because I, my wife passed when my boys were three and five. And they, well, what do you say to the boys? How do you prepare them for it? What do you do this? So, so they got me involved. So I got involved in that. And, you know, they had pastors, but I was the one they asked in the room when they were finally turning off the machine. So I was like in the corner. And I remember I actually squatted down and I was in a squatting position in the corner. And I prayed this. As the nurse was working, getting ready to turn everything off, I said, Lord, this family has been through an incredible amount of trauma. And I said, Lord, if it be your will, Take this man and take him quickly. So I'm praying this, and no one even knows I'm there. They're around the bed. They turn it off. And I was watching, as I was looking at the bed over them, there was a clock. The funniest things that stick in your brain. But the second hand was going down. And as the second hand went down, about right here, about, about the, the, the 10 second, 10 minute thing, that's when they removed the machine. The clock kept on going. And then by the time it started going back up, he'd expired. And he took he, 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 the last breath, turned gray and ashen immediately, and he just rested. And I was, thank you, Lord. In, in the, you know, you've been in hospice-type situation. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But I said, thank you, Lord. The Lord took the, he answered that prayer. I prayed for a death. And he answered that. And I know what I prayed, and I know the timing of what I prayed, and I know what I was looking at. I mean, I, I couldn't even get up out of that squatting position. My knees were so shaky. 
but, but I do believe that is all of the Lord. Do you understand? As I look at the definition of, I'm good, I'm good, okay? So, so the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. No, the nurse didn't do it. I really believe he was dead a month before. You understand. Job 14.5 Seeing his days are determined, the number of months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds and he cannot pass. The Lord has a time frame in mind. And when we interject ourselves, we are meddling with God. Hebrews 9.27 And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment the Lord has that in mind. He knows. So who differentiates killing from murder? The legislators, the professors, the media, you, or God? I think it's the Lord. Once again, we come to, come to church and we call ourselves a Bible-believing church. This is what determines what life is when a clump of cells become life and when life becomes a clump of cells. Jesus gave up the ghost. He offered it willingly, and he did so on God's appointed time. Our stance on life will separate us from the world, but that's okay. There's a lot of things we do that separate us from the world, but it's on both ends, y'all. It's not only on the front end after conception. It's on the back end afterwards, too, in, in mercy and killing. No, we'll let God take people when it's his time, when it's her time. God has promised to say yes to three prayers. Yes? You pro- hopefully you know these by heart. Number one is when you ask for wisdom. James 1.5. He will give you wisdom. Number two, when you ask for the Holy Spirit. Luke 11.13. He will give you the Holy Spirit. And number three, when you ask for forgiveness. I want to go to that number two. You're in this position and you're in pain. But I've been at deathbeds before. The Lord can fill you with the Holy Spirit to overcome that pain, the fear, the unknown. I'll give you one more testimony. I was blessed to be at my father's bedside when he passed about three years ago. And he was, he was laying down and he was getting to the point and he had that real raspy breathing. You could tell it was really close to the end. There, we had already had, the hospice was set up, the bed was in our living room and he was there. And he was really unsettled and his mouth was going like this. And I, 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 just, I just couldn't tell what his piece was, but his mouth was moving. And then I walked around to the foot of his bed and I saw it. And he was saying, I love you. And I said, Mom, get over here. I said, he's trying to tell you, I love you. Tell him you love him, and it's okay. And she walked up, and she says, thank you. I love you, too. And I'll be fine. All the children are here. They'll take care of me. Go be with the Lord. And within 30 seconds, he breathed his laugh. God knows what he's doing. He doesn't need us to help. Right? And when we interject ourselves, we are not helping. We're just going to mess things up. We trust in him. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.